Veronica, welcome to the Your Dose podcast. Hi, it's so nice to be here. <laughs> we have literally, I'm just, just to break, break this awkwardness, we've literally been here already, and I do this with all my guests, and then we have to pretend that we're just meeting for the first time, <laughs> but we've just been talking about my sweat issues, which is... And Taylor Swift. <laughs> And, and Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. And Taylor Swift, because I haven't been wearing these headphones for a while, actually, and I forgot how great they make me feel. Mm-hmm. I can, like, hear more. So, yeah, you can really <laughs> hear the crispness. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Veronica, thank you so much for being here. Um, the first question, as always, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about you, where you're from? We're obviously in Australia, but whereabouts in Australia and what it is that you do for a career? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Veronica Mason. I'm a high performance coach living in the beautiful Bondi here in Sydney um, and absolutely love it. So really working with high performers from a range of different industries, tech um, and also professional services to really understand how you can unlock uh, your true um, potential and your performance. And that's sort of my job to unlock that and um, really figure out how we can excel them in the most um, optimal way possible. And uh, just for context, my background is law. I was a um, corporate lawyer, actually. I worked at uh, the largest global law firm, Baker McKenzie, and also at Google as well, sort of um, with tech firms, all different sizes, really small, all the way up to the Apples and Googles of the world, which is really exciting. But um, there was an uh, instance in my life that made me uh, really question what I was doing and also um, go into personal development, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into. So yes. I'll save that for listeners, but that's a little bit about me. Okay. Thank you. First question for anybody who's listening to this and might not understand, what exactly is a high performer in your definition? So uh, I saw this definition of high performance, which is high performance is potential minus interference. And it's all about what is the things that is interfering you from performing? And the way I think about it is I think about high performance like in an infinity loop. So on one side of the infinity loop is all of these things about human optimization, sleep, nutrition, exercise, um, all these sort of environmental elements that um, we sort of have a lot of knowledge about. But then also on the other side of that infinity loop is the right like right brain side, um, the subconscious mind, like your mindset, what's really happening there, the habits, the, um, the systems that have been put in place uh, for many, many, many years. And I think to really elevate yourself, you have to have an understanding of both. And that's really where I come in. So really figuring out where you are on that continuum because you know, you might not be able to get really good sleep if you have some subconscious um, patterns around Mm. sleep. And then likewise, you might not be able to get into subconscious patterning if your sleep is bad. So it's really about figuring out the person and figuring out where they are on that continuum. Um, And that's what I really see high performance in, like really figuring out that continuum and working and elevating that continuum as you continue on that process and that journey. And who typically comes to you? Do you do you work specifically with the companies and the people within the companies or do you also deal with people on a one-to-one basis? Great question. So I work on one-to-one basis. Um, I work with a lot of business owners, a lot of founders, a lot of people in high-pressure um, professional services, whether that's, you know, management consultants or lawyers. So the sort of um, broad spectrum of people that I work with, but um, generally one-to-one. And then I do workshops. So that's sort of me being able to go into um, an organization or a group and serving them in that capacity or through group coaching. And then I also speak. So that's, again, one to um, me being able to go and speak to um, a lot of different people um, and maybe not having the same uh, level of interaction, but um, it's just great to be able to help people where they are and where they can. So, yeah, 
And what are the challenges that people typically come to you with that work for these in these high pressure environments? Yeah, so I really think about it in three ways. So I either have people coming to me that are really burnt out and um, and they just don't know what to do about it, or secondly, they're really they're really ambitious. They have a really exciting goal that they're working after and not really sure how they get how to get there. And then number three, which is probably the most common, which is they're burnt out and ambitious. So they're like so passionate about what they do, but there's, you know, there's burnout, there's stress elements that are really stopping them performing at the highest level possible and a whole bunch of other different things that are stopping them from getting to those goals, getting to that elevated level or just wanting a better life for themselves. You know, they're knowing that there's something in them that is there for something greater and I'm really excited to explore that and figure it out with help and um, with you know, with a guide to help them through that journey. So burnout is something that's been spoken about (laughs) on a few different podcasts recently. And I actually wanted to get someone on to talk specifically about burnout. So I'm glad that you've mentioned it because it's something that you obviously specialize in. What exactly is burnout and how can we recognize when we're burnout? I love that question. So I think burnout is, um, there's a lot of different understandings and different um, definitions. So this is mine with my own practice and the way that I see it. So first of all, burnout is a continuum. So there's, there's a spectrum of what it is to be burnt out. And there's, there's, um, there's sort of like higher on the, you know, the spectrum when you're feeling a little bit tired, you might not be able to get motivated. And then there's um, down to when it's like, quite severe burnout, you cannot get out of bed, mm. you're, you're demotivated, um, you, you're crying for no reason and things like that. So just, I think the first thing to understand is that it is a spectrum and mm. there is, a, like, as I said before, a continuum and where you can be. And then I, I also think that understanding burnout is a physiological thing first and foremost. So burnout is um, a consistent state of fight or flight that you've been in for a really long time. And then it sort of stresses out certain um, glands and, and uh, organs in your body that create systemic sort of adrenal fatigue and burnout. So it yeah. is very um, medical in that regard. And again, I think what is really missing in that conversation is it's first and foremost a physiological response. So when you are when you have a fight or flight response, there's actually two other responses. There's fight, which is um, obviously fighting a, a threat, um, flight, fleeing from a threat. Um, there's also fawning from a threat, which is um, like people pleasing and things like that, and then flopping from a threat, which is like this isn't happening, head in the sand. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's different types of ways that people respond to the fight or flight response, but mainly you feel it in your body first and foremost. And then when you've had that for, uh, days, weeks, um, in my case, when I see them many years, wow. possibly like decades and above, uh, it, it wears you down in your body because all of these stress chemicals are flooding through your body, cortisol, adrenaline, et cetera. And it, and it, um, just becomes almost overwhelming. And people take, have to take months off sometimes. And um, in the cases that I see, they don't really have that capacity. Often they're business owners with kids and families and they cannot take, you know, three months off. So how do you manage high levels of stress burnout when you don't have the capacity to have the sort of normal um, healing process that you might otherwise see? Mm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's interesting because I remember being like 22, maybe 21, I can't remember now. Um, I just finished my master's and went into my first corporate job after university, first ever full-time paid job. And it was really high stress and stress I'd never experienced before. 
it's different to academic stress when you're in a workplace and you've got targets and you're getting paid. And I was with lots of other graduates competing against other graduates. And it was just a different kind of stress. And I remember being there for like literally three months. So not a long time, but I was getting up so early, working late nights, Mm -hmm. had adult hormonal acne for the first time in my life, never had acne before. And I remember just one day just being like, I actually just really don't want to get up today. And Mm -hmm. just feeling so overwhelmed with work and just completely lost all desire to, to do any, to do it at all. But despite having this huge passion and aspiration for it in the beginning, it had just gone. Um, And just, I I, I can't really describe the feeling other than Mm -hmm. it was burnout, but I didn't recognize at the time until after. And it's interesting just because you're saying that a lot of people can't walk away from that. I was grateful enough to be like, this is not good for me. Like I am not in a good headspace physically and mentally. I was really unwell as well. And my parents were like, just leave. Like, just, just, this is not worth your yeah. mental health, the way that this job is making you feel. And there was a lot of other things that were going on in the workplace. It wasn't just this job. It was the people and the culture, just everything really. And yeah, I was able to walk away from that and had supportive family and friends and, you know, the ability to have that financial support. Did I need it? And it's kind of sad because I know there's a lot of people in big cities, whether that be Sydney, definitely in London, definitely in New York, that are my age, that would have been my age, that would have been working in corporate graduate jobs. I don't know whether, you know, you might have some insight on this as doing law. There'd be a lot of people who can't because of mm-hmm. the pressures from their parents saying, no, you have to do this career. What will you do otherwise? And like, they've had that ingrained into the back of their mind, maybe. Mm-hmm a very young age totally don't really know where I was going on that tangent but I think it was really important to kind of share that experience that I had and also like the fact that a lot of people like you said can't always walk away from it and I feel really grateful that I could because Mm -hmm. I can see how over time that could just completely wear a person down yeah absolutely and I think I would say to that I think it's really important especially when you're in those environments where you can't they can't they can't you know, get themselves out of that environment. They, as I said before, they may have obligations that just it's not possible. So I think it's really important to address the root cause. And I think that's really important. Um, And that's why I love to be more of a holistic high performance Mm. coach, because I love to understand the reasons why behavior is happening the, the way it is. I don't like to just fix it. Fixing it is fine, but that's sort of downstream. Whereas I love to go upstream and especially in instances where you can't change it. And even in instances where you can change it, going upstream to understand, okay, why, why, what's happening here? Like, what is the root cause of this? What is the behaviors, the patterns, the things in your life that are putting you in this particular situation and let's work on that. So I think it's really interesting. And then also in my own experience as well, like being a graduate lawyer, um, you know, the, the hours are pretty demanding and taxing. And, and I think for me, the thing that got me through that was really like my mindset for me, for me personally, and me just being like, I, I know that I'm choosing to be here right now because I know that this is what I need to do versus me feeling like I had lack of agency around mm. that. So 
I, and that was just me personally, but now that I have so many tools to handle burnout and stress and adrenal fatigue, which I think is really, um, I think, I think a lot of conversations need to be had around, you know, the physicality of what burnout looks like and the actual science behind it and what that, what, what simple things you can do to sort of um, inoculate yourself from that. And I think that's really where the conversation really needs to go. I think there's a huge awareness piece at the moment, which I think is phenomenal, but the next step of like, what, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, what are the tools, what are the techniques that you can use to um, really, as I said, inoculate yourself from burnout, mm. which I'm happy to share if you want to go yeah, into Yeah, please, I'd love to. I think, I think the first question then to go into that would be, number one, what are some of the behaviours and patterns that you think individuals with burnout typically have? Uh-huh. And then... Yeah, what are some of the strategies that people can use to manage their burnout more effectively? Yeah, I definitely think, um, unsurprisingly, it's those people that are the um, the classic sort of type A, and there's no shame. I am <laughs> I am a reformed type A myself, so there's no shame in that. But the people that um, are relentless in in a good way, but also in a way that's possibly detrimental to themselves, like passionate, driven. Yes. Um, as I said, perfectionism. I, yeah. <laughs> Again, no shame in that. It's just about working with it and within the parameters of that so I think it's really about you know the type of person that um, has the profile of burnout is somebody who and it's a great characteristic to have like they are continuously seeking um, a, a standard of excellence right but I think it's about first and foremost having a standard of excellence not having a standard of perfection like things mm. will not always be perfect and that's fine and sometimes good enough is good enough you know and I think that that's a really hard hard lesson to learn like for example if you did law you had to get over 95 like in a lot of universities especially in Sydney you had to get over 95 like that's really rough to know that you had to be like pretty much perfect to get into law and then pretty much perfect to like you know complete law and that's just law and there's so many different industries where it's exactly the same so to sort of like rewire your brain from being like I must be perfect therefore I succeed to I'm going to succeed because I've got a standard of excellence. I'm really taking care of myself. What does that look like? So I think that's the type of person. Then in terms of strategies, um, as I sort of alluded to, burnout for me is a first and foremost physiological response. And what I mean by that is it happens in the body before you can sort of conceptualize it i.e. you sort of tense up and you get stressed beforehand so that could be um and that could be you not even noticing that it happens in your body so one of the really simple easy tools that you can use is something called a full body relaxation you can just like basically um go through your body and you can just squeeze and release um your whole body from the head to your toes Mm -hmm. and it's not a it's not a meditation it's actually an exercise where you're teaching your muscles to relax and there's two um, outcomes that you get from that. Number one is you're obviously relaxing your body down, but number two is you're um, psychologically training yourself to um, notice when you get tense. So you can sort of um, tense up and then release. And I've got one on my website, so I can have, feel free to yes, send it to you please. after, and then you can um, share it with your uh, with your listeners. And it's just super simple and easy, like 15 minutes. I do it right before I go to bed if I'm really stressed. I'll do it if I wake up feeling, you know, stressed, I'll do it. So there's times where I do it three times a day, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but at least once a day, because I know that no matter if you've got really great, you know, mental, physical 
psychological, um, spiritual habits, you still tend to get stressed from time to time, whether that's environmental or otherwise. So it's really important for that. And I think there's a whole bunch of other really basic um, human optimization things that you can use, that you can do. So really important to have great sleep, um, obviously great nutrition, all of these sorts of things mm. can really impact um, that. And then I also say there's also adrenal fatigue diet. If you are so like if you are actually having adrenal fatigue, there's certain things and certain foods that you can um, eat and supplement with to be able to help and assist your adrenals. So it's not sort of not just like a um, sort of um, one size fits all, but if you really have that profile, there's a lot of things you can do um, to be able to fix it. So yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot of hope out there. I thank you for that. That's really interesting. I um yeah, I don't adapt. To, I, I adapt to stress better now than mm -hmm. I have done in the past. Um, but something that I've been taking recently are the ashwagandha gummies mm -hmm. or, I mean, there's lots of different mushrooms that you can take, but maybe it's placebo. I don't know, <laughs> probably placebo. Um, but there's definitely supplements out there totally. that can help with adapting to stress, totally. whether it, and you know what, if it's placebo, I don't know if for me, <laughs> it feels like it's kind of working. So, yeah. if, so that's great. And, yeah, um, I had somebody on my podcast very recently and she was sharing a lot about magnesium yes. and how we're all mm -hmm. very deficient in Absolutely. magnesium and I'll, yep. you wouldn't even think about that is, is that something that you agree yeah. with yeah so it's funny when you said supplements the first thing that came to my mind was magnesium like it's um it is something that we are pretty much all deficient in so i i personally supplement um with like a supplement and then i also have um, amazing spray because magnesium is actually e easy to be um, it's easier to be um, absorbed through your skin so you can just sort of spray it in different places so if you're sore you can put it on that spot and your feet and hands and neck so yeah that's a really important supplement and uh, to be sort of utilizing in a really effective way so that's why I would recommend just trying out different things but um, and there's different types of magnesium as well so it's a little bit complicated but I would be saying at least starting with a spray and seeing how you feel and then going from there right before bed so yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is it that we are deficient in magnesium? Um, I just think it's an environmental thing. I don't okay. think that the quality, um, there's been a lot of um, thought leaders that have said like the quality of our food isn't quite the same that okay. it was say 50, 100 years ago and we're not able to get it naturally and so therefore we have to sort of as much as we might have been able to before and yeah there's other foods that you can have with magnesium um, you know there's leafy greens dark chocolate <laughs> oh, amazing <laughs> yeah cacao cacao has a lot of magnesium in in it too so yeah that's that's a good there's also another option so one last question on magnesium just because i'm intrigued <laughs> no worries, yeah why the spray so yep. much more than like a standard yep. tablet um magnesium is uh more readily available um, bioavailable um if you spray it on you so okay. if you spray it on your skin it's more likely to be more effective okay. whereas having to be um processed through your organs and things like that so that's why they suggest spray you may have to go yeah. to chemist warehouse and see if they had some magnesium spray but i'm not sure <laughs> chemist warehouse will have yeah. magnesium spray i have a great uh great um are you gonna yeah, plug, plug no, I'm not, I'm, i don't have to plug 
plug it, but I've tried about a thousand. Okay, that's a hard plug it. Yeah, <laughs> I have a really great one from Wondo Markets, which I can also feel free to send through to you. But yeah, I think um, also just making sure you have really high quality of supplements as well is a really important thing too. So that's why I think it's important to try and test out different things. And there's heaps of different magnesiums on the market and uh, it just sort of depends on what you're after and um, the, the outcome you're after when you're supplementing. What? What are the different differences that you've seen since taking magnesium? So I sleep a lot better when I'm having magnesium. I think it's important um, to do that. And if I, um, when my back is sore, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second, um, when my back's sore, I just spray it. Or if I've got a mat, like if I wake up with a headache, I woke up wow, with a headache a couple of days no ago, way. sprayed it on, and I was like, ready it's, to go, ready to rock and roll. So that's really so interesting. I yeah. I did gymnastics yesterday. At, crossfit and i was attempting a handstand push-up okay and i can't do it and i attempted <laughs> to do it in front of a class full of people when we did the, sh- the show and that's tell fight thing. Or flight. <laughs> yep that's fight or flight and I fell, on my, <laughs> fell on my neck oh no okay. i can actually move it but now but this morning i was like i actually might have to cancel the podcast oh no it's fine better now but yeah anyway magnesium it's amazing mm-hmm. but so going back a little bit because we've you've mentioned you've touched on it a few times mm-hmm. now. Um, what was it in particular that got you so interested in high performance? What was this moment which yeah. changed your perspective on life? Yeah, definitely. So uh, eleven years ago, I had an accident. I was overseas on a university excursion, and I fell from a height, unfortunately, and I broke my back in six places. Um, and I. Um, had no idea what my life would be like. Like I remember the doctor sort of standing over me and also obviously my mom standing next to me and he said, your back's broken. We don't know what that means. We don't know if you'll walk again and things like that. And I was super fortunate because I didn't snap my spinal cord, which is why I can still walk today. But I didn't know that at the time and we didn't know what that would be like. So for me, there was like a obvious um, physical recovery element. So physio and all these sorts of things that you'd expect somebody like me to go through. Um, but there's also this mental and emotional and psychological recovery that just really wasn't talked about. So we, I, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to cope with that. And it was really, really, really challenging. It was obviously um, uh, everything that I'd worked for. I was a law student, as I just said, yeah. you know, they are, you know, it, takes a lot to get into where the position that I was in and everything looked like I would never be able to do any of the dreams that I'd worked on. I wanted to be an international diplomat, never thought I'd leave the country, let alone like my family home, let alone, you know, the country. So I was in this state where I, like my whole life was taken away from me. Like everything had been just taken off the table. And that's how I got into personal development because it first started because I gained 30 kilos after my accident because I couldn't move. I just couldn't, yeah. like I literally couldn't move. Um, and I, yeah, I gained 30 kilos. And if you have a back condition, that is like one of the worst things. And my doctor sat me down. And in addition to all the other ailments I had, she said, you've got to lose some weight. And yeah. I had no idea how to do that because I couldn't move. And so 
it started with me learning about um, nutrition and how I could just eat better because um, brownies are apparently not healthy for you. <laughs> what a shame. Yeah, I know. And, but dark chocolate brownies are healthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dark chocolate, like, you know, gluten-free brownies are fine. Um, I didn't know that at the time. And so I just had to start with my nutrition and then it sort of became a slippery slope. I started with nutrition. I had to start exercising. I had to do all of these, like, very humbling exercises like you know learning how to walk again and things yeah. like that and then it just sort of um I, I i was really fascinated i just wanted to get better and i was living in incredible amounts of chronic pain so i had to learn what to do and i was like hungry for it i was hungry for anything that would help the situation i was so young and uh they said look like with an injury like that you're looking at you know painkillers and antidepressants for the rest of your life and i was like no, thank you. Like, that's not, wow. that's not my path. I know that's not my path. So I want a different alternative for myself. And that's how I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can. And that's how I discovered, as I said before, the sort of human optimization element. But then it was really when I got into the mindset. So I knew what to do from like a practical perspective of eating well, sleeping well, exercising, all those sorts of like, you know, um, basic things. But it was really when I un tapped the performance in my mind that that's when I started to see incredible results I saw peace in myself even though I was in a lot of discomfort physically and I was able to get some amazing opportunities that I never would have otherwise gotten so working at, as I said before at Google or the largest global law firm which would probably never have happened if I didn't have the accident so it's crazy yeah, yeah um, that's why I'm passionate about it and so do you think that your mindset is one of the most powerful things that you can yeah, have. Absolutely. Like, and I think that I, um, I would say that I'm testament to that. Like I would say my body isn't the same that it was before the accident, obviously, but the capacity that I have to grow and to learn and to um, have what I, like the life that I want is so much higher. So I think it was, it was quite early on in the healing journey where I sat down with my doctor, the same one who was like, okay, we need to <laughs> work on yourself in, in different areas. Yeah. But I, I sat down with my doctor and I said to her, like, I just want to be normal. Like, let's just, like, I just make me normal. And she said to me, don't aim for normal, aim for extraordinary. And it was oh. just like, she, she said it with such veracity and she like looked at me and I almost cry every time I think about it because it was in that moment that I was like, I cannot change the fact that I've had an accident but I can change how I'm going to respond to it and I can change the fact that I can either choose to have like a crappy life or I can choose to have an extraordinary life and that's up to me so and I thought that that was just so, so empowering to know that no matter what circumstance I was in I can choose to have a quality of life that fits um, the identity that I have for myself that's so powerful after she got goosebumps um how do you how was your mindset different mm -hmm. which if it was pre-accident oh pre-accident was very different so I was um a very how old were you by the way I was 23 oh my gosh mm -hmm. you're, yeah. only, you're only I was only a little full uh, pardon 11 years ago yeah yeah, wow. I'm 34. So I don't look 34. <laughs> thank you. Um, so yeah, I was 23 and I was in the midst, like in the basically in the middle of my law degree. So exercise was um, not a thing that I did frequently. Everyone just doesn't believe me, but I was entirely skeptical of like 
healthy eating, exercising, sleep was like a non-essential part. Like you would just be doing all-nighters over and over again. There was, you know, parties to be had yeah. and study to be done. <laughs> and I just didn't have time for it. Didn't even think about it. So um, I, and I definitely didn't have a great uh, mindset. I really sort of struggled with that element as well. And I think that it was, it's entirely different from now where, although I have something where I'll have to manage something for the rest of my life, the, um, you know, the, the joy and the zest and the sacredness for life, I think is a lot, like a lot more appreciated now than it ever was before. Mm -hmm. And how long did it take for you to like recover and start walking again? Because I, I'm just putting my, I'm 27, so oh. I'm put, I don't really remember what it was like to be 23. That also seems like forever ago for <laughs> yeah. me, to be honest. But mm-hmm. like 23, I just can't imagine that happening to me. Like mm-hmm. that, like it's almost like you, your 20s are being taken away from you. Yeah. So, I, so I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how long it took you to recover. And also, I guess like another question alongside that is how did, that affect you as somebody in your 20s when your mm-hmm. friends were probably well they would have not been at uni anymore but they might yeah. have been finishing uni mm-hmm. and you know yeah definitely so um I was yeah I think a lot of my friends were still at uni because law is a very long degree yeah. um but yeah you're right like I totally missed out on my 20s basically so it took me um like I just basically took the whole of that year basically off um I was doing rehab every day. I was in like hospital for a bit and then just came home and just for months I was like, it was, you know, just, um, you know, full-time care and things like that. And then learning, um, you know, that process of learning how to move again took a really long time. So I would say that I wasn't fine for a very long time for many years until I finally had um, independence and things like that from daily activities and then um, sort of, was able to sort of live like just sort of making adjustments as I go until I, as I got better and better as the years got on. Yeah. And how did your, this physical health deterioration impact your mental health when it originally happened? Um, it was pretty gnarly. So yeah, yeah, it was like everything I like in my mind, everything that I had worked towards was taken off the table. As I said before, I wanted to be an international diplomat that was gone. You know, I didn't know if I walked properly again, that was gone. Like I, I, like I couldn't move and things like that. So I think for me, it was like a real dark night of the soul because I couldn't see at that moment in time, I couldn't see the way out. Like my mum would say to me, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And I was like, if I could walk out of this room, I would, but you can, so walk out of this room. Like, don't say that to me. So, um, yeah, it was really, really, really challenging. And especially because, like, I wasn't having a great time even before the accident. So it was even more challenging because I was like, I was already feeling not great. Now this, you know. So um, that was really hard. I was really lucky to have some really supportive friends around me that just, like, was they just got it and, you know, like, um were supportive and you know really supported me going back to uni and things like that and law's really lucky because you know it's a quite a tight-knit cohort so there was a lot of people that had that knew and were like trying to help and make sure that everything could be as smooth as it could be so I was really lucky in that capacity that um you know people rallied around me and um even though like 
I didn't believe in myself. There are other people out there that'll be like, it's gonna be okay. Oh, and then eventually I got to that place. But yeah, it was took a while. Yeah, it took a while, a hundred percent. And I think that's that's part of the journey because I think a lot of people see me now, they're like, Wow, that must you must have been like on cloud nine, you know, like being able to turn it around immediately. And that that's just not true. It's the process. And I think that's part of the beauty of what I do is like it is that process of knowing that you can hit rock bottom and you can always get out of it. And so I think that's the thing when you're going through something rough is like, you don't maybe know the outcome. And this is what I learned. Like you don't know the outcome. I didn't know my life would be like this. I never thought I'd be a coach. Like I never thought I would be talking publicly about eating healthily. Like that was not at all ever in my like vocabulary. But yeah, but I think for me, it's like, I don't, we may not know the end outcome, but we just have to trust and have faith in the process that we've got everything within us to be able to make that a reality for ourselves. So, yeah. That's incredible. And what do you think that we can do as individuals to improve our mindset? Yeah. I think that having a really strong why, like, is really important. Like, I think having a really strong, like, idea about what you want for your life and or alternatively having a high standard of excellence for yourself not perfection but having a high standard for your life so I didn't know that I'd be a coach as as I just mentioned but I did know that I wanted to take the lessons and the learnings of something that was really challenging and make make it so that other people didn't have to go through what I went through so I felt that my why was really really strong and um, I think when I'm speaking to others, I think it's about understanding why you're doing this. Like why, mm. why is it so important for you to get up every single day and like go to the trenches and things like that. And then, um, so that's sort of like understanding your why, but then also like, I would also say this is like really practical, but also figuring out what are the things like just practical things that, are, um, are, that are detrimental to your life. Like, are you not eating well? Are you not mm. sleeping well? Are you not exercising well? Like, those things make it harder for you to have a higher quality of life. So is there anything you can do to do that? And that will help the mindset stuff that will help. They'll make it easier for you to feel better. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but there are certain things that if you do them, they help. And then if you don't do them, like if you don't do the opposite, it sort of detracts. So I think there's a lot of different things that one can do um, to help and improve their mindset. Is there any one in particular thing um, there may not be the there may yep. not be an answer to this out of everything yep. you know when you think about sleep nutrition exercise all of all, all of those that. things which is fundamental like the most important thing yeah i think in terms of mindset i would say um there's a victor frankl quote which is um between stimulus and response there's a choice and i love that between anything that's going on in your life and your response to that there is a choice and in that is the ability to be human like that is your agency that is your sovereignty no one can take that away from you your choice of how you handle the problem if internally if you don't have the chance choice like how you see it so Mm -hmm. I think that's like the number one thing that I think everybody should sort of like really embody Mm -hmm. and it might take you a while to get to that place where you're choosing what you want and there's um, there's ways you can do it but I would say that and then I think in terms of um like all the human optimization stuff gosh that's a good question i think um i mean all of them are it's sort of sort of hard because like a venn diagram but i would say you know i think i think food's really um interesting because 
like that is just something that can be easily changed and it's something that is easy to um, make certain tweaks and things like that. So I would say that as well, like food, I think is a really important part as well. Are there any food in particular that you that think love you don't love? that you love? That okay. you've spoke a lot about, you know, you never thought you'd be talking about eating healthily. <laughs> so I've had a lot of people come on here and talk about nutrition yeah. and I've had nutritionists and all sorts, but um, I guess in the concept of mindset and yep. high performance, mm-hmm. are there any particular foods that you think can help with that? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I think there's, there's the two different answers. So the first one is foods that I absolutely love. Like I think, um, I think it, it really depends. Um, so it depends on what your end outcome is. So for example, if you have adrenal fatigue, um, or like burnout, like things with like th- really salty things are really good for you. So really? yeah, cause it, um, your, the sort of adrenals need that salt right? Whereas if you don't have that profile, then other foods are going to be better for you. So for example, if you're struggling with depression or something like along those lines, then things like fats are really important for you. So avocados are really important for you and things like that. And so I think it depends on your profile. Mm. And, um, and also, also if you're a woman, depending on where you are in your cycle. So if there's uh, certain foods that you can eat at certain times that are better beneficial for your performance. So I think that there's that. And I'd also say the missing piece in a lot of these conversations is hydration. So we're often very dehydrated mm. and that's, I think, something that we don't talk about as well, especially if you have a back problem. The number one thing, well, there's a lot of number one things you can do, but one of the most important things you can do is hydrate yourself. So I think that also is sometimes missed from the um, the conversation as well. So, yeah. Thank you. Interesting. <laughs> we'll be taking note of all of those things. Yep. Um now, this another question which has just come to my mind along high performance. Who do you typically get? Do you typically get more men or women coming to you, or is it kind of even? It's, it's definitely mixed, but um, I think a lot of men are really interested in it, um, and I think that's because they have had a lot of coaching when they were growing up, so in sports and things like that. Not to mm. say that women haven't, but a lot of men that come to me, they're like, "Yep, I'm used to a coach. I've you know played soccer for my whole life, or whatever." Um, and then I get a lot of women who are in very high stress situations. So they may be business owners or, you know, um, they have multiple, they're wearing multiple different hats, like side hustling and then also doing a corporate job and things like that. So, yeah. And how long do your, is it a program? Like Mm -hmm. how do you typically work with your clients? Yeah, great question. So I normally work with them from anywhere between um, three to six to 12 months um, or indefinitely. So it sort of, again, just depends on their profile. Maybe it's something small or maybe it's something that's um, bigger, like there's been clients that have had for years. So it sort of just depends where they're at and um, really making something that works for them. So even with my own coach, I've been seeing her for years. I'll see her like forever. (laughs) Yeah, I love her. So um, yeah, I think it just depends on, you know, where they're at as well. And how did you actually become a high performance coach? What's Mm. the training around that if that makes any sense yeah no that makes total sense so I did um a lot of as you can imagine a lot of courses and things like that to learn how to perform myself and so that was like throughout my law degree and then once I decided I was really fortunate to meet a bunch of coaches and they were like okay you're really interested in this area you're interested in human optimization 
you're like fascinated about it. Um, so you should probably consider doing high performance instead of other forms. Like maybe potentially I would have done otherwise like business performing, like business coaching or something like that. But um, it's fun because I get business owners and their outcome, like their output is directly um, related to their own personal performance. So I think it's quite um, correlated. And then I did um, a lot of um, like holistic human development courses and things like that to really help me understand and verify what I knew about high performance as well. So uh, a whole range of different things. And I think what I sort of bring to the table is a bunch of different modalities because I started off very skeptical in this. Like a um, few years after my accident, my mom was like, why don't you see a kinesiologist? And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, and then just having to sort of come on board with um, not just sort of textbook high performance, but also all these other things that we just mm -hmm. don't consider to be high performance and really making that a part of the process. Because I think that people understand what high performance is and people get it and it's what we're all after, right? We all, I have never met anybody to say, yeah, I don't want to be my best. Like I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Like coasting, you know, like the, everybody's keen to be the, the best. And if they're listening to this, they are too. So um, yeah, that's sort of how I got to that process yeah. and honed in different skills and um, where I wanted to sort of um, end up and practice. And is there any books podcasts mm, resources that. that you think individuals could should listen to if they want to be more of a high performer mm -hmm. i my favorite i like to recommend um uh classics so i like to recommend classics in terms of books and my favorite is the magic of thinking big um okay. I, I think it's by david schwartz the last name is definitely schwartz but i love it i thought it was the, the most amazing read and it's like written in like 1950s language or 1960s language so it's so it's a little bit antiquated but the ideas are just so phenomenally beautiful so i would sort of say that because it sort of helps you start identifying what is it that I'm really after here? And like, mm. what is my mindset like? What is the life that I want to live? And so I thought that was great. In terms of podcast, I love um, uh, a guy called Sean Stevenson. He has a podcast called The Model Health Show. And that was the first podcast I started listening to. And it totally changed my life. And it really? is, yeah. And it just, that's what got me on the path of it. So I had a two hour commute to Google and I had like nothing to do. And I just would listen to these podcasts. So from Sean and just devoured them. So yeah. And what sort of things does Sean talk about that you think yeah. were so life changing? For um, you? Biohacking. So Sean also had a um, back condition. So I was like, another one, another me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and he was talking about how he managed his back and uh, if you look him up, he, there's just, you cannot tell that he's had, he manages a back condition. And I just was so, I resonated with that so much. Like, you know, I think there's, we have so much um, misconceptions of what, um, what we're like and like our bodies and things like that. And it's sort of, you know, uh, like the first thing that people say to me when I tell them, well, one of the first things they say is like, oh, like I can't tell and things like that, you know. And the same with um, with Sean. And so I think to sort of see people that are just like normal, natural, amazing people and then to see that he's actually gone through his journey is really um, inspiring. Yeah, it's really yeah. human. Like it really humanizes the experience. And I think we all have that. And that's what I love about the work that I do. It's sort of like you may not have had a you know, a back accident, but you will have your own dark night of the soul. And I'm here to help you get through that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, that's sort of, I think that, um, I think Sean really brings that human element to that. 
And do you still deal with back pain yep. now? Yep. How often will you deal with it? Every day. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I manage my back, and this is something else that people don't really know. I manage my back all the time, every day. At least 25% of my day is spent managing and taking care of it. And um, it's like my own internal barometer. It gets really sore when I haven't taken care of it properly. So yeah, whether it's swimming or doing my exercises or sleeping well or um, um, eating well, there's so many different things that I do to manage it. And um, yeah, it's just a part of my life that I embrace because it's um, it's a it's it's something that I feel really lucky to have had the journey to go on with it. So mm. yeah, I, yeah. And is there any like exercise that you do in particular? For your back swimming <laughs> really? swimming i'm obsessed did you, I like, obsessed. Did you like swimming before no i hated it no because i hate swimming. i hated <laughs> i hated swimming like um my parents will testify to this i probably swam like on you know on the scale like on like on 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 the on the fingers of, of my this hand probably five times and none of them were voluntary so yeah. i hated swimming and then uh, i remember the doctor saying to me the only thing well one of the only things you can do is like swimming because it's so good for you and you're gonna have to do it three times a week and the the air you will know whether you've been successful if you can swim a k a k Okay, and I was like, I cannot swim a meter. And the first time I oh got in the, gosh. and when I, the first time I got in the pool, I literally sank to the bottom. There was a hydrotherapy pool for people who had had like, you know, injuries. Injuries, yeah. And I sank to the bottom and I had to wear floaties, and I was like, this is not my idea of fun. And <laughs> then now, yeah, this isn't me. And then I now I live in Bondi. I swim every day. It's a huge part of my life, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's like it's such a huge part of um, my identity now and so I absolutely hated it people don't get, don't don't believe me but I hated it with a passion so will you yeah. swim in the ocean I will swim in the ocean yeah Brave. so I've done you know ocean swims and ocean races and things like that so yeah I know so uh, it, the ocean is a is a it's another really um especially if you live in Sydney and you can have access to the beach I think it's a really important um mindset challenge so there's not really many times in my life in the days where I'm like, I want to jump into cold water for multiple minutes at a time, you know, and it really, it really shows you the, um, like how empowering it is to actually tell yourself, no, nah, I'm going to go in that water, even though I'm going to get cold and et cetera, I'm going to go in that water because the end outcome is I'm going to feel better, you know? And so I think, um, and whether it's, uh, you know, ocean swimming or um, rice baths or think, something well, like that. Where we, yeah. It's one of the many few things, many few things, I'm not sure if that's true. Anyway, um, it's probably the only exercise that I would actively not want to do, <laughs> but would probably feel the best yeah. after, yeah. to be honest. Because yeah. I do CrossFit and I think CrossFit's, I really enjoy it and it hurts me so much. Yeah. I've literally got like calluses like all over and like, but I love it. And mm -hmm. it's a team sport. But for me to get my running shoes on, get out the door and go for a run, especially in the UK when it's raining. No, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. But I know that I'm going to feel amazing after it. So I think it's very, it's, it's kind of a similar concept. Um, the only reason why I wouldn't go in the ocean is sharks, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, um, I, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of ocean swimmers and they're still all alive. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of, yeah, I have a lot of faith in, in not dying from, I like, I think also because my accident was, you know, so severe and it was sort of near death. And I'm, I just feel when I think about sharks and things like that, I'm like, I mean, I feel pretty lucky, like, to you know. just be here. Yeah, I feel lucky to be here. And if I go by shark, then I go by shark, you know, yeah. so. Um, I don't mean that flippantly, you know, I just feel that I don't want to not do something at the risk, the small, the small risk that something will, you know, um, happen in that capacity, but also obviously being safe, like I would never swim, you know, in unsafe situations. That that was something that we've kind of touched on, but not had like it. And I've not asked you the question around how do you think your life, your perspective on life has changed since your near-death experience? I just have a sanctity for life and I also think that I am so driven to have that extraordinary quality of life for myself and for others as well. Like I I do not take it for granted. Like every day I can get up and walk and move and and um, you know, have a life of meaning and purpose is just incredible, you know. And uh it was actually eleven years ago, a couple of weeks ago, and for me like I just every single year I get happier and happier on that day because I I have this experience where I am so lucky to have the body I have and so lucky to have a second chance at life and so lucky to live the life that I have now and I just would never take it away from that perspective so I think that my mindset and my like the sanctity that I have around it and um, around life in particular and how I know that it can all change so quickly Mm. without like you know you're you're out of your control but at the same time that means that we have a responsibility whilst we're here and whilst we can to really create the best life for ourselves and sometimes that means that we have to make really challenging decisions in the moment to have a really great outcome later on so whether that's swimming or another really challenging thing that you'd have to struggle with so yeah that's sort of what I would say that sanctity for life I think is really what it gave me. What does extraordinary mean to you? I think yeah I think extraordinary means that's such a great question I really think it means like having a standard of excellence and having integrity within yourself to for doing the things that you know you need to do and for uh, showing up and serving in the highest way in the highest form that you possibly can so for me that is serving at a really high level and really serving in the way that I can and being of service to um, you know hundreds and thousands of people and hopefully more to be able to help inspire them to live extraordinary qualities of life no matter what happens like I think that my story is testament that you can have everything taken away from you and you can still come back from that and you can come back stronger better um, Mm. and have this sort of integrity within yourself to have that um, experience so yeah amazing now going on to a little bit about your clients and some of the people that you've worked with obviously you told us your extraordinary story are there any individuals in particular that come to mind when you think of extraordinary successful testimonials of people that you've worked with yeah absolutely um I'm just thinking of uh one of my clients who is a mom and she runs a business and uh she's been able to like run a business have kids you know, and really, like, really be open to tackling some really challenging internal um, personal beliefs. 
And just to see her thrive and become the best mum that she can, best wife that she can, best business owner she can, best like woman that she can is such a huge part and huge journey on that um, that element because you're not only impacting like her life, you're impacting kids, you're inter- mm. impacting generations, you're impacting like a business that's now thriving. So I think that really um, uh, really stands out to me because you, you're able to just impact so many different people from that perspective. So, yeah, I'm thinking about her. That's so nice. Mm. And what do you think are, this is, reminds me of the question, you've just kind of touched on it, but what do you think are some of the common beliefs and stories that we often tell ourselves that hold us back from being mm-hmm. the best version of ourselves? Great question. I think we all have two, like, like rudimental fears which is that um like I'm not enough and I'm not loved and also I would say in that regard I'm not safe like different varieties of those Mm. um those sort of root 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 wounds yeah and so I think that really plays out in different ways like whether or not you're like settling for a job that you know isn't like is you're just not meant to be there whether you're not making those difficult choices when it comes to like health and nutrition and things like that those sorts of things and you sort of have to really question yourself like why am I not doing it like or you know what's the benefit of me doing it things like that but where am I like I'm not safe I'm not I don't feel loved I'm not enough where's those things coming up because if you're addressing that you're addressing a huge root cause so I'd say that as well and not being I'd also say not being kind to yourself like not loving yourself like sometimes you will screw up and that is a-okay because we're going to learn from it because if we're perfect then this life would be pretty boring because everything would go really well yeah it'd be like you know the first half of the Barbie movie right yeah (laughs) like um so I think that also having this grace when it comes to challenges and knowing that we will, we will stumble, we will falter. That is the human condition. But as I said before, between um, response, like between stimulus and response, there's a choice. And I think that ownership and that autonomy gives you a lot of empowerment and a lot of freedom. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize when we are in these spirals and mm-hmm. thought, thought patterns as well. Yeah. Like I always went through a period of time where I thought I was lazy and unmotivated and it wasn't until I did some research into it and went into therapy and she was like, Emily, you're procrastinating. And I was like, well, that's not a good thing if I'm procrastinating. And she was like, well, but you're, that's a, an element of self-sabotage. And mm-hmm. you're doing, you're not doing the work and you're not applying for that job or you're not making that decision to move yep. to Australia, for example, mm-hmm. which was like four years ago, I was telling my therapist <laughs> I wanted to move to Australia. And she was there like, Emily, why are you not moving to Australia? And it was all because of my own self-sabotage yep. because I didn't want to make that move because of all these underlying fears that I hadn't dealt with around not being good enough and being scared of things going wrong and thinking always working in the bad worst case scenario, perfectionism, all these sorts of things. And so I think, yeah, it's really important to recognize when we are in these spirals and, and loops and know that we're not lazy no yeah and we are human and we're actually just responding in the only way that we know how to yep and that's obviously where someone like you comes in whether it be a high performance coach or a therapist to be able to try and change that and and, and that's kind of just given me another question around where do you how, like do you think it's important to have if you can lots of these different people in your life to be the best version of you like do you think it's you should have a, a coach and a therapist and like a mentor for example yep. um or do you think you can just have one of 
those? Um, I think like, I think it sort of depends on the person. Like if there's a mental health, like a significant mental health challenge going on where they sort of need that, um, like they may need, you know, specific treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would say sort of that, um, psychologist, psychiatrist route might be the right one, but high performance coaching is sort of more for people that like have, like they may not have, you know, a, um, like a very severe condition or something along those lines, but it's really, I think more future focus, it's Mm. more goal orientation, it's more holistic. And it's, I think coaching, especially my coaching is very right and left brain. So like our subconscious mind takes up, like makes up like 95 to 97% of our decisions, but left like psychologists and psychiatrists tend to just work on your subconscious mind obviously which is like only three to five percent so i think it taps into a different part of your brain and that Mm. was my experience as well i wasn't getting where i needed to go with um like psychologists that i saw after the accident and i was in fact getting like worse Mm. but it was only really when i got into personal development and change the story from like retroactive looking back to how do I look forward and there's no right or wrong like I really want to be clear there's nothing there's no right or wrong when it comes to therapists whichever therapist you use like just having one is enough but I think coaching is really focused on getting you to um, unpack who you are in that sort of right brain in element and then moving you forward yeah and how do you think we can effectively goal set I think doing it in an aligned way. So Mm. sort of what we're talking about in terms of, you know, what is our limiting beliefs about things and stuff like that. I also comes, it comes to goal setting. So with goal setting, we're often like we make it on like the 1st of January or something like that, but that's actually not the right way to do it. So yeah, because um, we tend, that sort of is like more, um, I would say like fabricated goal setting. Whereas I think goal setting should be done in a really calm, clear state where you've been like possibly led through something. So we have different brain waves um, that we operate on. Right now we're in beta, there's alpha, there's um, theta and uh, delta. There's also gamma, but those four are the primary ones that I first mentioned. And getting into a different brainwave to be able to create the goals that you want for yourself is the right way to do it because otherwise you're just in better and that's not the best brainwave to do something like that in. So, yeah. So how do we get into these different brainwaves? Um, it just depends on the type of person you are. So it sort of depends if you're more kinesthetic, visual or um, auditory and what type of process you develop for that. But so, for example, I'm very I'm, like, I'm quite visual slash kinesthetic. So I need to sort of like be moving I need to be writing notes I need to sort of like move my body for me to sort of get into that state which is why swimming is also so effective for me yeah and then sort of doing a visualization in in relation to what I'm searching and searching for and seeking in my goals and sort of going back so again just depends on the type of profile that you have um and going from there yeah and that would be the flow state that would be the flow state yeah Yeah, that's another word for the flow state that's a really nice way to describe it because I've discussed flow state a little bit on here yeah. but it's kind of nice how you went into it and spoke about how you actually getting to the flow yeah. state and what that looks like for you yeah it is different for everyone it's totally different for everyone and there's certain things that are a high like there's a higher likelihood of you getting into it mainly when your body and your mind is occupied so a lot of people a lot of like you know um 
Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse was created when um, uh, Walt Disney was on a train and he's sort of just looking out the window. That was him in an alpha state because his eyes and his body was thinking about something else. So that's, it sort of gave him space to be able to drop down into a different brainwave. So wow. just like stuff like that. So take a lot of train rides. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, just, it sort of just depends on who you take are. Take yourself out. I think that's more about taking yourself out of your that's right. Yeah. The situation that you're yeah. used to and yeah and and just like learn what type of person you are whether or not you're kinesthetic so i've got clients that are kinesthetic and we do certain processes for them versus auditory versus visual so it just really just depends on who you are and um the outcome that you're like seeking when you're trying to get into a different brainwave amazing so now we've run a little bit to your achievements um <laughs> in your very impressive career <laughs> so far is there any specific milestones that really stand out for you on yeah, your journey? Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely, I spoke at South by Southwest in Sydney last year. What and is that, that was... for anybody listening? That's because I have a lot of listeners okay, in yeah. other areas of so the world. So South by Southwest is a um, huge conference in Austin, Texas. It's like super famous in tech and like it's just like a conference, um, you know, with tech and uh, just the latest sort of ideas and things like that. And they brought it to Sydney for the first time. And I spoke there last year and that was like really, really, wow. really significant. And so that was probably one of the most significant things professionally. And that was really, really, really cool. And then um, I think personally, I think it's been, um, you know, just uh you know, learning how to walk again, moving again effectively. And then obviously like living out my dream in Bondi has been amazing Yay. also. Yeah. So it's been amazing. And then if you want to touch on the, uh, the LGBTIQA plus achievements, I'm also happy to do that too. Yeah. So what are the LGBTQI <laughs> initiatives yeah. that you've yeah. been, been recognized for? Yeah. So I was really lucky when I was at university, I got a scholarship for um, disadvantaged LGBTIQA plus students, which was amazing. Um, and I've been part of that, that scholarship, it's called the Pinnacle Foundation. So I was like, you know, one of the first people to go through the program. I was in the second year when I was running and, um, really became my family and really supported me through, um, really challenging, um, situations to do with my sexuality. And, um, I was really lucky to sort of, um, be helping them, um, sort of spread the word and do a lot of talks and things like that on what that means, uh, to be part of that community. And, um, very lucky that this year I am their um, their uh, chosen alumni to go to the LGBTIQA plus executive fellowship. So there's an executive fellowship run by the University of Sydney and I'm the alumni that's going to it that year, this year. So it's going to be like a MBA for a week. And, I'm really and so you that. were chosen for to be part of this initiative originally. Yeah. What yeah. was it that when, did you apply for it or how were you chosen? I, I um, They choose, I think, uh, promising young leaders in the like that have had the scholarship before so I think that they did that and uh at this point in time just trying to run the pro the launching the alumni program for them and then using doing another couple of doing other initiatives even within the startup ecosystem to help encourage LGBTIQA plus people to um consider entrepreneurship so um not sure where this is airing but there's a pride pitch night um this on Friday wow. uh yeah and that's to really encourage um LGBTIQA plus founders to pitch in a really safe and friendly environment um it was shown that 75 percent of 
queer founders don't disclose their sexuality because there's other reasons, but one of them is that they were worried that they didn't get funding. And um, through, through this process, sort of learning that there's actually not that many LGBTIQA plus entrepreneurs out there. And like, why is that? Like, what is the, what, why is that community not um it's like underrepresented yeah and then also it's i guess it's kind of the same it's the cause and effect in a way because is it that they aren't or is it that they are but they don't speak up about it as yeah, well exactly so yeah it's about if you've got the power like it's sort of exactly like um the work in my you know in my high performance coaching it's sort of like if you've got the power and the capacity to help somebody else live a better quality of life then you should you should do that and I see that with this community which is like I can see that entrepreneurship is a gateway to having the quality of life and the choices that you want to live like that you want to live and I think that's a really important message for the LGBTIQA plus community so I'm really um interested in exploring you know Mm. the reasons why um there's you know queer entrepreneurship um and really supporting them in whatever way I can I don't know if you could be able to answer this question, but if there is anybody listening to this who is struggling with their sexuality, what would be the advice that you would give them? Yeah, so anyone that is struggling with either their sexuality or gender, I think, or both, I think that, you know, I think it's really important to understand your, like, understand who you are and, like, have that authenticity with yourself and, and just know that you're perfect exactly the way you are. And I think that's something that like, you know, everyone sort of hears and they're like, Oh yes, I know. But when you really understand that you are created, I believe that you're created like you're perfect and you've got these challenges that you're going through and they're going to make you stronger. I think that that's a really empowering message. And I remember when I was really young seeing the like it gets better campaign. I don't know. Mm. You might be a little bit too young, but there's this like YouTube campaign in like the late 20 noughts. Is this an Australian thing? No, it was an international. Oh, okay. And so I was sort of really struggling with my sexuality at the time and like these incredible humans, like this is before sort of the yes vote and stuff like that for same-sex marriage and they released these like video things about these super successful queer people being like, it gets better. I'm like, does it? oh Oh my god it does and I just think like that really sort of was like oh wow and then I think it's like you can't be what you can't see and so look up people that you really admire within the community that have been able to create a really great quality of life for yourself and that's really what I think you know people like the Pinnacle Foundation do like they show you that there's mentors you know 10 15 30 60 years ahead of you that have been through that path and I think specifically with this community, there's an element of resilience and adversity that just like is just next level because it's not like a lot of these times you've been ostracized from your family and um, you have no like you don't may you may not have any support systems and so you have to like learn how to have your own family and yourself mm-hmm. and then you also have to learn how to cultivate safety and trust. Um, in a way that's working, that works for you. That was also like, you know, the the part of the journey that I went on. And I think to sort of know that, you know, there's other people out there that are also doing that, I think is really, really, really empowering. So I think anybody that's struggling with sexuality or gender, just questioning it, because I think now that we've got so much, um, I think it's so fluid and I think that's beautiful. And I don't think you have to be straight, bi, like, you know, gay, like, or like the yeah. other range, like you don't have to just be those things. That yeah. you, there's this spectrum and this is fluidity of gender and sexuality that I think is really empowering. So yeah. um, I think it's a question of really being 
being yourself and being able to say to yourself, okay, I, like what I said at the beginning, like I might not know the end outcome, but I'm just going to show up as myself in if like, you know, within obviously parameters of safety, every time I can, I'm going to seek out support. I'm going to seek out mentors, going to seek out people that are doing stuff like this. And, you know, there's heaps of, there's like heaps and heaps and heaps of organizations. And had I just been more astute in my own research, I would have found like, better like not better but more organizations that were helping people like me in really challenging situations and there's heaps of people out there so yeah, yeah that, that's incredible and I also think that we are come we've come such a long way totally. in terms of um both males and females but like I'm not saying that women don't don't aren't stigmatized but men are you know way more have been way more stigmatized in certain ways um, you know, when you think about the AIDS campaign and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I've met a lot of guys recently who are just like so open to just be like, yeah, I've ever been with guys, but they were their girl now. And they're so open to just the say it out loud. Yeah. And females 100% have also dealt with it. And a lot of my friends have, have dealt with it. Um, and it's just so nice now that people are accepting and it's more, and it's weirder to not be accepting of it yeah. than it is to be, yeah, to, what we're yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's more, you, you're, if you, if you don't agree with it, it's weirder than if you do. Yeah, I agree. Do but you, I, yeah, I absolutely know what you mean, but I think there's also in this year out there that, you know, there's less people coming out at work. There's obviously 100%. a huge issue in relation to, there's a lot of um, vilification against the trans element of the community yeah. and um, people that might be like, um, that might have, you know, be gender diverse and things like that. So I think there's a real, especially if you have the platform to speak and the platform to help like specifically targeted members of that community, no matter if you are in the community or you're an ally, I think it's really important to stand up for that because again, it's not a minority group that has like, you know, you know, a whole bunch of people like these people have to go out and find their own family in instances like that. So I'd highly encourage everybody to go and find your own family, go and find your support. And I love the fact that we're on the internet and like that you can like find people out there, myself included, that are really supportive of other people and just, um, you know, just embracing that element. Yeah. Just one more question on this. Um, just not really spoken too much about sexuality and it's such an important topic it because is, yeah. like I said, we're a lot, we've, we've come a long way, but we're also so far away from where we need to be as well. Yeah. So I think talking about this is really important. Mm -hmm. um, have you dealt with discrimination in the workplace or throughout your journey so far as, a, as an entrepreneur or in general life, to be honest? Yeah. And how have you dealt with that? Um, yes, when I was really young, really challenging experiences at high school that were very challenging and not very pleasant at all and just sort of like very ostracizing and very isolating. So yes, definitely. And um, I think for me, I sort of went underground after that. <laughs> like I was a little, I was out at uni and stuff like that, but I sort of went a little bit underground because I just the veracity of what had happened to me was that it just, again, was life ruining. Like it was before the accidents it was pretty so life ruining. Awful. It was awful. And it was like gut wrenching and it made me question everything. And like, I think there was so much lack of pride in myself and also so much shame with who I was. And yeah. I just didn't have family support, didn't have friends support. And I just was really, I really, really struggled that huge impact on my mental health. It's funny. We talk about the accident, but that had a huge impact on my mental health. Do you think that had more of an impact on your mental health at the time? 
um, or in a different way maybe than my accent or yeah or in a, in, in a different way like I I think with the sexuality it was more like uh that was really really hard but I think like obviously and there's no there's no right or wrong I think mm-hmm. it was a different type of hard because I was in a different place in my mm. life whereas when I was like had the accident I was looking at the barrel of the gun of never walking again like that was like that's like and that's that's rough <laughs> so I'd say it wasn't it wasn't the one was better or the worst but I'd say that the accident you had less like you, I couldn't leave that environment you know like in the sexuality thing I could go and online or whatever and like you know meet people not meet people like romantically but just like meet people that were like me like I was saying like watching you know um the the uh you know it gets better campaign and things like that and meeting people that way but I just think that it was a different type of mental health stress and pressure and one was like your whole life's ruined and then one was like I feel like my whole life's ruined but you know um and it and it is it is ruined like I can't I don't have anyone to talk to etc but it was just type it was just types and different so and then in terms of being an entrepreneur I definitely think um I was like a little bit under the radar about it just for that reason I had you know clients I wasn't sure how they'd take it like there was a lot riding on me like sort of not you know, being 100% open with it. Um, I, I didn't really see the relevance of it and things like that. But then um, around last year, I was asked to do a, a lot of speaking engagements, which I already did for the Pinnacle Foundation, but a lot more over World Pride. And I just realized in that process of me talking about my story and 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 the impact of, um, you know, um, homophobia in my life, that now that I was in this position, it didn't matter if I was going to lose clients. What really mattered was that I was authentic and I was true to myself. And that was the most important thing to me. So I became a lot more open about it um, and a lot more trying to be a lot more supportive of the, the environment and the ecosystem, because I'd sort of just learned the most important thing for me was like when I was going through my personal development journey, I didn't see anyone queer. I didn't see any women mainly I didn't see mainly women but I didn't see any women that were so happening to be in personal development that were queer and yeah I think that was really limiting for me because I was like I was like I don't see anyone that's been through what I've been through I don't see anyone that's struggled with like you know Mm. homophobia or anything like that and it's a different life it is a different life when you have to continuously question whether or not you come out it's a safety concern there's lots of different things it's not it's not black and white that it's wrong or right to come out there's a lot of different considerations and I think that it's really important to have personal development um, leaders and speakers out there that are queer because it's such a huge like as we're just saying like so much fluidity so I think it's really important to have people that look like different ends of the spectrum and they can support the community in the way that they can because I think that that's really important and to be that authentic part of myself was like so crucial because I'd missed out on that myself yeah yeah and I that kind of uh, the the question that I was was going to ask you when you you spoke about those two different experiences both affected you in different ways do you think that the near-death experience had kind of changed your mindset on your sexuality Mm. and made you more accepting of it in a sense of like I literally nearly just died and yeah. was told I would never walk again. <laughs> yeah. I think there's smaller things like the, the fact that I'm just, I, my sexuality is different yeah. is actually in the grand scheme of things small or did it yeah. still? I actually think it was the opposite. Like I was like, there is so much happening right now. Like oh. I cannot handle any more <laughs> things happening. So 
I just think I like I was like very like comfortably out at university. Then I had the accident. I was like, oh my god! Like, let's oh, just take no. this off the table. Let's, let's walk first. <laughs> let's, let's let's get our priorities in order. Veronica Mason walking first is priority, <laughs> and then this is like so far down the list. And I wasn't like interested. Oh. I wasn't like obviously looking for anything because I was as aforementioned recovering. So yeah, I think for me it's sort of put me not back in the closet because that's not what I mean it sort of just rejigged my priorities because I was a young you know I was a young person like caring about you know having a young person's social life whereas after the accident all I cared about was like moving and I also realized that I couldn't coast on just my body anymore I just really had to realize that my like it was my mind that would get me through you know I had limitations and I had to accept that and so my sexuality was like, and dating and things like that were like a little bit down the priority list. That's not to say that it was right or wrong, but it was sort of down the priority list because I was in fight or flight. Like I was in, my whole life was taken away. Let's rebuild my life. And then I think yet last year of like really coming out and like really being like, no, I'm like publicly doing this. It's not just stuff that my friends know about. It's stuff the whole world knows about um and I'm prepared to stake my reputation on that is was like sort of for me just being like yep that's this is important to me and um sort of going from there is there anything in particular that you would like to achieve in the LGBTQ um community Mm -hmm. with your voice yeah I think a couple of things so number one is I would I um I would really like to be a, a very significant personal development voice not only for the queer community but also for the like ally community and straight community um because I think that's really important for for straight people to see people that are queer that you know look like me that you know um Mm, that are are in the community as well like you know just sort of understanding there's a whole spectrum of things in relation to that so I think that's sort of my end goal to be someone that can speak and cross the bridge between the two communities and be you know a diplomat between the two and then I think specifically within the community, the queer community would really, really, really love to start encouraging more LGBTIQA plus entrepreneurs. Like I've seen it just in the last week with the pitch night, like, you know, the, the I just think that there's a lot of work to be done to encourage it. And as I said before, like even other minority groups, they might have like an inbuilt family support, even if they not don't know what entrepreneurship is, there's like sort of there's the, um, I've read some research where it's a little bit different in the queer community because you might not have the family support. You might not have the friends mm. and family first thing. And I don't mean entrepreneurs like, you know, um, you know, a Canva or something like that. I mean, like even small businesses, small to medium sized businesses. And there's no reason why we should, this community should be stopped from doing that just because we're, we're possibly may, may be more um, aware of those sorts of things. So I'd love to make an impact on that as well and just really encourage people like especially queer people to live an extraordinary quality of life and not let anything hold you back, um, which I think is really important. Yeah, so inspiring. Thank you for sharing all of that. You're welcome. And before we finish, I just want to go back a little bit to burnout mm-hmm. and just get an understanding of how you think that corporations or startups could help individuals who are in these high pressure environments and situations to um what's the word to what's the word like maybe manage stress or manage yeah yeah, to manage burnout and stress 
Um, I think having awareness, like, is the first key. Mm. So I think having, like, workshops and, like, speakers and things like that, talking and teaching you about the science of burnout, I think is really important. And then also, you know, talking about that within your the realm and making sure that it's not commonplace and it's not something that, you know, is always, um, uh, like, you know, taken for granted. And as I said before, there's heaps of different things you can do to manage burnout. But I think in terms of corporations, like having awareness, having like um, time where people can do that. And then I think I heard this once, which is like, if you're working a certain amount of time, that's sort of not appropriate, like, you know, longer than normal hours, that's on the manager to sort of manage and make sure that the people aren't burning out because it's a huge, the other thing that I love to also bring in, especially for business owners, it's like, it's a huge cost. It is a huge cost if somebody's burning out um, they're not as productive at work. So I think having initiatives where there's like a really structured mm. thing around mental health and like actually having that as part of your KPIs or your metrics to be able to make sure that your staff aren't burning out, not only for their own sake, but also for your businesses as well. Mm. So I think it's really important the onus is on the companies to make sure that they are doing things that, you know, really move the needle in that capacity. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And the... The final, well, second to, to final question is around your future aspirations mm. within the high performance world and also mental health. Um, yeah, both personally and professionally. Yeah, definitely. I think professionally, as I said before, would love to be, you know, a personal development um, leader in the space. So, you know, speaking and like creating content that can serve many people, not just sort of one-to-one, -one, but also at the same time, obviously enjoying my one-to-one -one work yes. and like my, my group works and my workshops. So just sort of um, continuing to build that sort of movement. Um, I think that's like my main professional goal and uh, to support as many people as I can in, um, in that capacity, you know, hundreds of thousands, um, hopefully millions one day. So that's the aim. And then I think personally, I think to continuously get better, I think the, the number one responsibility we all have in our lives is to continuously work on ourselves so that we are the best version of ourselves for ourselves primarily, but for our partners, for our family, for our jobs, for everything. So I think for me, it's about continuously um, doing the things that I know I need to do, making the calls that I need to make to make, to sort of elevate myself. Yep. Amazing. Now coming to the, the final question um just one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is listening who might be struggling with setbacks sorry or obstacles um in their life that are either professionally or personally yeah I think I'd really go back to um what I said in terms of between stimulus stimulus and response to the choice because that is so empowering. If you realize no matter what you're going through that you've got a choice, that is so, that gives you agency, that gives you the capacity to change things. So I love that. Um, and I would say just like have your own motto, whether that's I'm gonna have an extraordinary quality of life and just be like, I know that it's really crappy right now, but I know that the end is gonna be good because I have that faith. And I think the three, like the, the, the things that got me through the accident were courage to just try different things, yeah. faith and hope. And then sort of my support network around me that rallied around me when um, I didn't give them reasons to, but they just did it. And I think for you figuring out whoever's listening, like what are your three things that are going to get you through this challenging time? You've been through challenging times before. It's not the walk in a, like this is life is interesting because it gives you all of these experiences that you caught in your like 
in your back pocket for when you have a really challenging time that you're like, hey, actually, this isn't the first time I'm doing something really challenging. I yes. can get better. So, yeah. I love that. And mm-hmm. one little thing on the um, – I. I want to have an extraordinary life. Yeah, is that you said? I'm willing to. Have I'm an willing to have an extraordinary yep. life. I was listening to a podcast recently, and this is something that's echoed quite a lot throughout podcasts and just in the mindset mental health space. Is the importance of writing things down. Yep, and putting it in your viewpoint so that every day you can see it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether whether you know. I think man, I believe in manifestation and yes. all that sort of stuff, but it does very much ring true that when you write something down, you, you put it out into the universe. Absolutely. So I guess just onto your point, if you taking away your amazing advice is to also write it down as well. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely right. Like I remember, I think the day everything really changed for me was the day that I just like had this must have been alpha brain mode. Um, <laughs> like a, 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 um, a bolt of inspiration where I said to myself, I like, the back my back isn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me and I just started writing about all the good things that had happened and I think this was so cathartic because I was writing so I agree with you writing your goals down all the time monthly daily whatever it is because so in it's like a continuous process so that, I'd also agree with you on that well thank so, you so much for your amazing advice and welcome. it's been so interesting to speak to you and to share lots of different topics not just about your high performance coaching, but around your near-death experience, LGBTQ, which was so important, and and coming back around some amazing advice. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having Um, me. I will also leave a link to your website. This was a question that I forgot to ask, but when you mentioned about your some of the talks that you've done, are they are they is there links to those on the website or is there anywhere in particular that people need to look to listen to those? Um, I mean, you can uh, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you just look up my name, Veronica Mason. A lot of the things that I do is on that. that. Um, but I will send you my website and you can share it along. And amazing, yeah, you can share from there. Perfect, amazing, awesome. Thank you, well, so, thank you much. so much. Thank you.